Welcome to the Three Strands Church Podcast. In our culture, you have to be really good to get into the Hall of Fame, whether it be in sports or music. Hebrews 11 gives us some great examples of people who are really good at living out their faith. Let's take a look and learn from some of these members who have been inducted into the Hall of Faith. Today, we're going to start an entirely new series uh, for the next six weeks, as you saw there in the video, called the Hall of Faith. And I don't know if you've ever watched any of those sports Hall of Fame induction ceremonies or not, but I think they're pretty cool. Of course, I grew up watching a lot of those people that get inducted, but uh, uh, you have all these superstars in the background who are on the stage behind the person who's getting inducted, and they're just kind of cheering them on as they give their speech and accept their reward. Well, heaven has something similar in what we're calling in this series the Hall of Faith. It's filled with spiritual superstars that you and I have looked up to and have been learning about for some of us since we were kids. People who remained faithful to God through trying times and through difficult circumstances. So over the next six weeks, we're going to learn about a passage in Scripture written about some of these legends in Hebrews 11. So the book of Hebrews was written to a church in the first century where the author is encouraging the church uh, with these heroes of the faith. And he starts by writing down a bunch of names that should encourage them. Now, whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard of many of these names. Okay, you've probably all heard of Noah. Uh, You've probably all heard of Moses or Jacob and Abraham, who we're going to talk about today. But the author goes through this long list of names, and at the end of it, he says in Hebrews 12.1, he says, therefore, and I know I've said this here several times before, but anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you always ask, what is that therefore, therefore? So it says, therefore, keeping in mind, you know, all those names that he just listed, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I know Mike Port was here a month or two ago, and he taught us, led us through those scriptures there in that that verse. Um, But we want to focus in on that phrase, huge crowd of witnesses. Because that would make us seem, uh, make us think that people are actually watching us, right? I mean, he's talking about that list of people that he just mentioned, the Hall of Faith, that they are in the grandstands of heaven watching us, cheering us on. And he says that since we're surrounded by them, that we should keep pressing on and persevere. And so during the next six weeks, our goal is to allow some of these heroes of the faith to to kind of come out of the grandstands and take a lap with us. We're going to learn from their life how it impacts our life today. And so we're going to find that these people, uh, they're not just people of extraordinary faith, but listen, they were also people who were flawed. You know, they made a lot of mistakes. And if you commit to coming to this entire series, you may leave at the end of it thinking, you know what, Uh, I don't feel so bad about myself anymore. You know, some of them, they were really messed up. You know, Uh, they did some stupid stuff, just like you and I have. And so we're going to learn from their mistakes in hopes that it will prevent us from making some of those same mistakes. But listen, what they got right was that they kept moving forward in faith 
and they were honored for doing so. Well, two weeks ago was Father's Day, if you remember, and our character who's taking a lap with us today is a guy who waited a long time to be a dad. In fact, he thought he would never, ever even have kids because he's an old man. And he's made his share of mistakes, but something happens that changes everything, and we're going to learn some valuable lessons from him this morning. And you know, I don't have to tell you, those of you who have children, that being a parent is a very important job. Being a dad is a very important job. Studies tell us that when the dad's involved in their children's lives, that kids do better at sports, Kids do better in school, they do better with relationships, and daughters make better decisions in dating. In fact, daughters often marry guys that remind them of their dad, which is a question I get all the time. Kenny, is your father Matthew McConaughey? Is your father-in-law? Is that who that is? Because there is a resemblance there. See that? Does everybody see it? Mindy, do you see the resemblance? Good, I thought, I thought you would, okay? get asked that all the time. your father-in-law Matthew McConaughey, you know. That's my senior picture of high school right there. I had to look a long time to find that, okay. I actually didn't have the runway back then, did I? But anyway, being a parent is a really important job, but it's also a very tough job. I mean, think about it. We work all day, we drive home, we try to engage with our kids, but we're tired because we're running around to ball games and to practices, orthodontist appointments and and school functions, and sometimes it feels like we just don't have anything else left to give. And some people are in situations where their kids are in two different homes, and when we get them, we don't want to be the the ambassador of no, but we've got to have boundaries, but we also want to have fun. And so there's there's a fine line there, but it can sometimes just be exhausting. And if you're in that boat, you know what I'm talking about. And some people didn't have the best example to follow for a parent. And so they're just kind of wandering around aimlessly, feeling like they just don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of going with their gut instinct all of the time, uh, just trying to learn from other people, but not quite really sure how to be a good parent. And some of you may feel like you've missed your chance because your kids are all grown up. They may already be out of the house, and and you may think, you know what, I've missed my opportunity. Well, the guy we're talking about today, he felt a lot like some of us. He felt a lot like this empty glass here. He just kind of felt like, you know what, there's nothing in there to give. I'm empty. I'm running on empty. And maybe your kids are arguing, you know, and it's about to escalate into a fight. And you know you should step in, but you're just so tired, and so you just let the hockey fight begin. Maybe your kids are saying things to you like, you know, I just don't know what decisions to make. I don't know what to do with my life. I'm feeling really depressed. And and you think, you know, I I can't believe they're really even talking to me about this stuff, their feelings and, and being so honest, but I don't know what to say. Ever felt like that? Well, listen, Abraham did not have a great fatherly example to follow. He had no leader in his life to teach him how to be a parent or how to be a dad. And then he comes to a place in his life where he's older. And so he's not even thinking about having kids. But listen, one day, everything changes. God does something in his life that demonstrates for us that when you and I will make these three decisions, God will fill up our cup. 
If we would just make these three choices, these three decisions, God will fill up our cup. So about 2000 BC, Abraham was living during a time where people didn't move around very much. I mean, nobody really traveled much at all. And so everyone just kind of, you know, they, they were born in the same place. They lived and died there. And so he's just kind of living out his days. He's getting older, just he and his wife and some extended family. And God comes to him and he speaks to him and he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to move. I want you to move. And the very first principle, the very first decision we learn about Abraham's life is this. Say yes to God. When God speaks in our lives, let's say yes. You know, many people think that they know God because their parents knew God or maybe their grandparents knew God. You know, they've got a family Bible or or somebody prayed in the room one time when they were in it. I don't know. And they think they're good enough, but that's not the same thing as us saying yes to God. It's different. God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham obeyed. Look at Genesis 12, verse 4. It says, So Abram departed, as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Now listen, Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. 75. That's the average life expectancy in America. Listen, Abraham's not thinking about moving here, okay? He's thinking about, you know, pulling up his pants, jacking them up really high, driving with his blinker on all the time, you know, and getting into bed before dark, right before Jeopardy comes on. That's what he's thinking about, okay? And for, I'm not disrespecting anyone whose lifestyle is like that because I am slowly headed in that direction, okay? I'm right there with you on many days, okay? So, no disrespect. And God says, no. I want you to move. Nobody moved back then. This was crazy. So Abram, he has to admit that he doesn't know the details of his future. And that's a scary thing for most people, isn't it? That's a scary thing for me, I know. I don't know what's next. But listen, I'm going to go simply because God told me to. They weren't world travelers back then like many people are today. I mean, people in America, we, we travel everywhere, don't we? You know? I heard about a, a group of American tourists who went to this tropical island, and they wanted a tour, so they found this native tour guide who had agreed to show them around. And he's showing them all of these different sites, and they see this volcano off in the distance, and it's actually got smoke coming out of it, and it's got lava running down the side of it. It looked really scary. And one of the American tourists said, Gosh, that thing looks just like hell. And the tour guide said, you Americans, man, you've been everywhere, haven't you? Thank you. Appreciate that. No jokes, no laughs around here. But listen, we travel everywhere, right? We go to Pennsylvania. We go to to Lake Cumberland. We go where? We travel all the time. Abraham did not. And he was faced with this dilemma, am I going to go? God said this, am I going to go? And you know what? There may be something in your life right now that God's telling you to leave behind. You've not heard an audible voice, but you know deep down in your soul it's the right thing to do. You know, it might be to leave an abusive relationship. It might be an addiction. It might be a belief that you'll never amount to anything and you'll always be a failure. 
It might be a belief that church is only for women and children. Or maybe it's a, that you won't, it won't even matter if I'm there, so I'm not going to be involved in church. Abraham has to leave behind the past to move forward. He says yes to God. He doesn't have it all figured out. God doesn't tell him exactly what's going to happen. He just says go, and Abraham goes. So God says, Abraham, because of your trust in me, I'm going to start pouring a little bit of blessing into your life. And he does. And because of that, look what happens in Hebrews 11.8. It says it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. So suddenly now he has an inheritance. Didn't have that before. He went, listen, without knowing where he was going. So Abraham shows up, steps out in faith, and he goes. Can I ask you this morning, what is it that God is telling you to say yes to? What is it in your life that God is telling you to say yes to? Is it to start making church a priority? Is it to start being the spiritual leader in your home? Is it to start reading God's text message, His Word, the Bible, every day as we talked about last week? Is it to start talking with Him every day, just praying? Is it to start pouring into your family more? What is God telling you to say yes to? Because I have a feeling that you already know what it is. Maybe you've been wrestling with it. Just say yes to God. Say yes to God. A second principle, a second decision we learn from Abraham's life is this. Fail forward. Fail forward. You know, the truth is all of us are going to fail and fall at times and make mistakes, especially as parents. I think back to when Carson and Maddox were real little. Uh, I used to cut their hair, okay? Uh, I was their personal barber. No need in paying $8 for a haircut when I can do it for free, right? I mean, after all these years, I've been cutting my hair for 20 years now. It's almost gone, uh, but it's not that hard. So I began cutting theirs. The problem <laughs> with it was, by the time I was done, one of them looked like Curious George and the other one looked like Eddie Munster, okay? I got a picture. Okay, that was the two styles that I could cut, all right? And uh, I've got pictures when they're little, kind of looking like those two styles, but... It was a bad parenting moment. When they would go out in public, it was rough, all right? But I probably should have taken them to the barber, as, you know, reflecting back uh, like I do now. But everybody has those kinds of moments, and sometimes they're far worse. Abraham, he had a far worse moment than that. He, he made some awful mistakes. For one, God had promised him in Genesis 17, 5 that he'd be the father of many nations, but he wasn't having kids, and he wasn't getting any younger. So because his wife Sarah was barren, she suggested, listen, that he sleep with her servant Hagar and have children through her. Abraham did not think this one through. Okay? Guys in the room this morning, listen to me. The answer to this one is always no. Okay? Just remember that. It's always no. If your wife's you know, having trouble... Bearing children, if you just sleep with the maid, we'll have children third. No, 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 okay? But you know what Abraham did? 
All right, sounds good to me, okay? So Abraham agrees, and that was not the best decision. And then in Genesis 12, in verse 11, Abraham, he has this bright idea that uh, while they are in Egypt, that the Egyptians would see how beautiful his wife Sarah was, and they would have him killed, and they would take her. Look at verse 11. It says, As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarah, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. It's very nice. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him, and then we can have her. And she may be thinking, you know, that's still a pretty good scenario. But verse 13, just kidding. So please tell them that you're my sister, and then they will spare my life, and they will treat me well because of their interest in you. Kind of lost selfishness in that last verse there. Okay, they'll spare my life. They're going to treat me well because of you. Okay. The problem with this is that she's going to end up in a harem, but at least he's going to live. Okay? You wouldn't want to take notes here uh, of Abraham's example of how to be a great husband. That's not it. So God reveals to their king in a dream what was going on, and he says, Abraham, what are you doing? You almost got me in trouble with God. Get out of here, you know? And so Abraham has these moments in his life where he fails. But the question is, how does he handle it? How do we handle it? We have moments just like this as well. Maybe the failure in your life is moral. Maybe you've you've brought pornography into the home. Maybe you've stepped out of your marriage for an unbiblical reason. Maybe you've said and done some things that you shouldn't have done. It's kind of like the father whose middle school daughter, she came down the stairs wearing something pretty revealing. And he said, oh, no, 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 you're not wearing that. Get back up there and change. And she looked at him, literally confused, and said, I don't understand. Said, you see other girls dressed like this all the time, and you always comment about how great they look. And what do you do in that moment? You're caught. Well, maybe for you, it's not moral. Maybe it's ethical. Maybe it's things like, well, I know we ordered water, but go ahead and get Coke instead. You know, we're going to lie about your age to get you into the movies a little bit cheaper. Or maybe your, your kids hear you call in sick when you're really not sick. You think it's not really a big deal. But listen, when they grow up and they begin lying and they begin cutting corners and they begin cheating, you'll wonder where they learned that, right? And so the question is, when we fail, what do we do? We have two choices. We, we can fail backwards, which means we deny it, or we act like it's no big deal, or we blame somebody else. Or we can fail forward, and we can own it. We can sit down with our kids, and we can say, here's what I did. It was wrong, and I'm sorry. We can go to God, and we can say, I'm sorry. And you know what? That's what Abraham does. That's what Abraham does. He keeps going back to God time and time again. And he keeps getting right with God. And he keeps making things right with his wife. And so God continues to pour into his life even more blessing. Because he continues to go back to God. And God says, you know what? You guys are going to have a baby. And what's surprising about this is that he and Sarah are 90 years old. Can you imagine that? They're 90. Can you just 
imagine the conversations that must have took place in this home about this. Your two 90-year-olds, God said you're going to have a baby? Think about what they talked about. I mean, good night, Sarah. Is this, this birth going to be covered by Medicare? You know? I mean, now we can eat all eat baby food together. We can just all kind of gum it down together, you know? Uh, when you go to Walmart, get the Pampers and the Depends, okay? Because while you're there, we're going to eat them both. Uh, you know, we're all in this together. Pick up two walkers, one for me, one for Junior, okay? I can just imagine the conversations. But listen, this is the blessing that he receives as a result of his and Sarah's faith in Hebrews eleven eleven. Look at it. It says, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She and he believed that God would keep his promise. Do you believe God will keep his promises to you? So that's the end of the story, right? God gave them a son, living happily ever after. Nope. What happened was his son grew up, <clears throat> maybe around 10 years old or so. We don't know the exact age. But Abraham was probably thinking, you know what? Life's pretty good. Life's good. God promised me something, and I've trusted him time and time again. And I've got a son. And you know what? I'm going to be the father of many nations. But, there's always a but, right? But, then God comes to him with other instructions, and they're different than the previous ones. Okay? In the past, it was Abraham. Trust me for what I'm going to give you. Okay? But this time, it's trust me for what I might take from you. Ever been in that boat before? Which gives us our third principle, our third decision about Abraham's life. And that's we've got to trust God with the process. We've got to trust God with the process. Just trust the process. You know what? Sometimes God wants us to trust him because of something good that's awaiting us. And then there are other times he wants us to trust him because something may be taken from us. And so this is what God says to Abraham in Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. It says, sometime later... God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Tough stuff here, guys. I want you to take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I'm going to show you. Are you for real? I mean, Abraham must have simply just been in shock at this moment. Can you imagine? Completely devastated at these instructions that God had given him. I mean, God, what are you talking about, right? How am I going to be the father of many nations if I obey what you're telling me to do here? I can't believe that you would even ask such a thing. Why would you do that? I mean, I mean, is the cell signal service, is it dropping somewhere between here and heaven? I don't get it. I don't understand. But you know what he did? He trusted the process, didn't he? Look at Genesis 22 and verse 9. It says, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar. Can you picture it with me? Can you just imagine how slow 
he was building that altar, just hoping and praying that God would change his mind. And he arranged the wood on it, and then he tied his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And you know what? If you're in Isaac's shoes, you just got to be wondering what is going on here, right? I mean, he's trusting his dad, but this is pretty awkward. Verse 10. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. The one I, I promise you're going to be a father of many nations. Remember that? That one, that son. And guys, it's at this moment that the blessing that comes on Abraham's life is so much bigger than it ever was before. Because God looks at this man and he sees somebody that will trust him with everything. Not just the little things, but with everything. And you know what God does then? God begins to pour out blessing on Abraham's life and continue to pour out blessing until it just overflows. And it fills up his cup. And it not only affected him, but it also affected his son and his family. And it also affected his grandson's family. And on and on it goes. It never stops rippling. Think about the impact that it had on his son's life. Because his son watched his earthly father, Abraham, trust his heavenly father, God. Can you imagine the conversations about this years down the road? Hey, Dad, remember that time you tried to kill me? Remember that, huh? They may have joked about it from time to time, but the reality was this. The reality was Isaac never forgot how much his dad was willing to trust his God. Right? It had a ripple effect on and on all the way down until we meet Jesus. Look at how the Hebrew author writes about this story in Hebrews eleven twelve. He said, and, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, no way to count them. Guys, when we read Hebrews 11, we see one person after another, but only one family, and it's this one. All because a dad decided to say yes to God, to fail forward, and to trust God through the process. And so here's the action steps that we need to take this morning. There's some of you that may just need to say yes to God. You've never done that before. Today's the day you need to say yes. For others of you, you it, it may be that you feel like a failure. And you just simply need to fail forward. Move forward not backward. And for some of you, you may feel like you're walking through the valley and you're not sure where God's leading you, but you just need to trust Him.
You just need to trust him with the process. So let's say yes to God as we hear this last song.